0: My name is Ros Ward and you're listening to Red Flag Radio, the podcast of Red Flag Newspaper in Australia. We're recording on Indigenous land that was stolen and never ceded, that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And on our show, we will be discussing and analysing politics, history, theory and activism from an unapologetically radical revolutionary socialist perspective. Each episode, I will be joined by activists involved in campaigns and debates on the ground and historians who are part of the struggle. We hope you enjoy this episode and help us spread the word through your social media. This podcast doesn't receive any funding um, for advertising. Today, I am joined by Liam Ward, RMIT lecturer, socialist activist and filmmaker. Hello, Liam. Hi, Ross. And our special guest for this episode is Sarah Garnham. Hi. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Sarah is a socialist activist here in Melbourne who's been part of what we want to talk about today, which is a bit of a revival in direct Mm -hmm. action style environmental activism um so we're going to talk about extinction rebellion we're going to talk about what happened at the blockade of imark and just generally i guess we should start off by reflecting on kind of how things have changed in the environment movement in the last year it's been a big shift i mean we've Mm. all been at some um environment rallies in the past that have felt like kind of funeral parades so uh, (laughs) so sort of sarah do you want to start off by talking about how things have changed and what you've noticed
1: yeah, I think it's um, it's pretty phenomenal, actually. It's a cool thing to be living through. Um, what was it? Just a few weeks ago in Melbourne, we had 150,000 people out for the global climate strike, um, which is, I think, the biggest demo since the Iraq war, protests against the Iraq war. So... Uh,
0: I yeah. think enormous. one of our comrades, uh, Andrew Cheeseman, if you're listening, said it's uh, it was the fourth largest protest in Australian history. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's pretty incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, for sure, the biggest uh, climate protest ever in world history. So um, because, of course, that was part of like a global uh, day of action, I guess, global strike against um, the inaction on climate change that we continue to see from our ruling class, the ruling class around the world. So, yeah, it's... um quite significant, I think. And the, the things that's really chi- shifted as well is that, um, the demands, the sense that people have that you need to take, uh, urgent action. It's become commonplace to see the placard system change, not climate change is common for people to talk about climate justice. So the kind of the politics and the vibe of earth hour or global walk for climate Um, climate action from a few years back has been surpassed, I think, um, in particular thanks to Greta Thunberg and the kind of the movement that that's inspired, but also now things like Extinction Rebellion and even a more radical edge than that, which we saw come out um, during the IMARC conference.
0: Yeah, I mean, if we think about Extinction Rebellion, I remember first watching the footage of um, the protests that happened in London um, back in uh, towards the end of 2018 when Uh, Activists were blockading bridges, people get pulled pulled away by the cops, arrested, really like was a huge kind of um, uh, moment on the kind of activists left internationally and then to come back again as they did in April the following year, this year in 2019, with 11 days of action, 1500 people arrested, like actually when they said we're going to shut down um, business as usual, we're going to disrupt things... They meant it and it happened. Mm. And it was like looking Mm. at that from Australia and thinking, wow, I mean, this is uh, a new um, phenomena. Mm. Mm. Yeah, definitely.
2: I'd say there's the other part of it that's interesting is not just the um, Extinction Rebellion stuff, but the the school strikes. And, you know, so seeing this new... I mean, those of us have been around for a long time, remember year after year of people complaining and bemoaning the supposed apathy of young people. Mm. And I think the school strikers over the last 18 months have thoroughly disproven that. There's a whole new generation of school students who have been involved in mass walkouts and defying the cops and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think um, with Extinction Rebellion, um, yeah, I mean, it has had overwhelming support here in Australia. So in Melbourne during the week of rebellion, um, it was over 150,000 people I think polled um, by one of the mainstream media outlets that said that they support um, the protesters disrupting the city. So one of the main objectives of Extinction Rebellion to cause disruption, to disrupt business as usual because the situation is so catastrophic, so urgent, um, has broad support even though we don't see the kind of numbers that came out to the um, school strikes come out to Extinction Rebellion Um
0: uh protests, yeah definitely what well, did it end up seventy four percent or something like that yeah, in support, yeah. yeah, and I think people i mean eleven thousand scientists you know saying, yep, it's a climate emergency, and if we don't do anything now, it's mm. gonna be like disaster, but we still can do something now is part yeah. of also what these scientists are saying, so the idea, the thing that x r says about you know. We're facing an unprecedented global emergency. This is what they have on their website. Life on Earth is in crisis. Um, We have entered a period of abrupt climate breakdown and we are in the midst of a mass extinction of our own making. Mm. It's pretty compelling for, I think, most people really. Mm. You have to be pretty um, right-wing and backward to think, as Scott Morrison and the government do here and probably the Labor Party too, actually, Mm. uh, to deny that. So Mm. do you think some of that kind of... um, the framing of that helps to mobilise people to take part in this kind of direct action?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think the um, the sense that uh, there's a political um, response to the science that actually correlates with it is important. For years and years the science has been saying that um, we're facing catastrophic consequences, that 1.5 degrees... Um, warming is, um, fast slipping out of, um, uh, out of reach for us actually. And we're looking at somewhere between two to four degrees global warming and the kind of damage that that will cause in terms of making huge parts of the world uninhabitable. Um, and as we know, as socialists, the, um, the fallout from that will be, uh, felt by the poor, you know, it'll be the poor, poor people everywhere already is the case that 400,000 people have been killed as a result, a direct result um, of climate change. And that will just continue. Um, So it is catastrophic and it's catastrophic, not at just some sort of like level of, you know, the natural world will collapse around us, but the sort of social collapse and the um, amplification of already such uh, horrific levels of social inequality that we'll see as a result of climate change. So the fact that now there's a political response that is beginning to measure up to, um, those objective scientific and, I guess, political realities that we're all facing um, is really, really important. Um, So, there's been a huge breakthrough in that it is no longer acceptable um, to suggest that we just toy with market solutions as a possible... Carbon tax? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just sounds ridiculous now, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. The Greens were talking about um, reviving the Labor Party's carbon tax just about a few months ago, but they've, you know, they've very quickly uh, dropped that that. talking point. Um, And, yeah, and I I think all of the sort of lifestyle supposed solutions as well that can be practised on an individual level, that's all kind of fallen away. Um, So now it's very much yeah the topic for everyone is well we need system change but what does that mean like what does it mean to change the system which parts of the system need to be changed um and how (laughs) radical do our actions need to be to actually um uh make that happen
0: well so xr has particular particularly strong um kind of viewpoints on the strategy then Mm. for that the scale of struggle that's needed and sort of interesting to me as somebody who works in academia i'm sure liam will have something to say about this as well that they've kind of come up with this strategy based in social science, which to me think I think, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting mm. that you're actually going to look at research and say, well, what works and look at history and think about what has worked in previous struggles to actually create um, this scale of change. But some of the social science research that they've used, when you look a bit closer at it, mm. and I think people are starting to do that more now, is pretty dubious. Um, I yeah. don't know if you've been looking at this, Liam, The fact that uh, the woman who, um, Erica Chenoweth, who was doing this research, um, basically was doing it for the foreign office of the American Mm -hmm. government Mm -hmm. because they were interested in regime change and how you could go about um, getting rid of dictators in places where they wanted more American influence. Mm -hmm. And this has then been translated into this strategy um, by Roger Hallam and, Mm -hmm. and the leadership of XR to say, well, this is some magic formulation that's never been tried before, you know, and so somehow we're going to um, reach this 3.5% mm. kind of um, cut-off point that, or target that they've set um, and that will be the thing that saves the planet. Mm. I mean, it's a pretty big call. What do, <laughs> what do you think about that?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, we... uh, I, I wanted to talk a bit about the, the, I guess this is the sociological kind of measuring of, of yeah. things. Because they talk about uh, you know the, the percentage of not just the three percent public support that will magically give you you know deliver victory or whatever. Hmm. Uh, but also they have this kind of view of history where there's, you know these are all the revolutions that have succeeded, hmm. and here is the proportion of them that have used or not used violence. Remember this one they do as well? Yeah, which you know just points to the whole idea of well, but, but who's you know the word revolution is in desperate need of definition because it means a million things to a million people and half of the things that this, that these people say were, were, you know, successful revolutions, half of them ended up in defeat. Actually, half of them probably counter revolutions. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think for, for socialists and people who actually want to see, you know, for us, for people who, for whom revolution means, uh, you know, a mass democratic working class uprising that overthrows the capitalist state, Mm. these words, nothing like this is mentioned in their study, you know? So, so things that they call revolution. So for and there's not always necessarily a negative thing, like the stuff that springs to mind for me is, um, you know, the big protests in South Korea in 2015, 2016, uh, that did topple the president there. Millions of people marching the street week after week and they did topple the president. So I guess it's kind of a revolution of sorts, you know, and there wasn't violence, at least on the part of the processes, although there was a farmer was killed by the cops. Um, mm. You know, and that might qualify in their view as a peaceful revolution, but yeah. actually, they didn't tackle the state. You know, the, the capitalist state continues to exist. All of the same neoliberal policies that, that drove people into upri- you know, the uprising in the first place continue. Mm. So, there's so many yeah, questions change, that these changing government just don't address. is not a revolution. We have that mm. every three years or whatever.
0: <laughs> I don't call those revolutions each time. There's yeah. a different lot of people in power, right?
2: Our comrades across the world.
1: It's an interesting question, um, I guess, why Extinction Rebellion have this, what I think is quite a ridiculously rigid formula um, about how how we will resolve the climate crisis and how, and, you know, then they extend that out to be about how you resolve any social grievance. Um, and I think it's a combination of a couple of things. Like one is I was saying earlier that there's been a progression, a bit of a breakthrough in that more and more people think, well, you actually need system change um, rather than just tinkering within the existing system, I guess. Um, But just because people have reached that conclusion doesn't mean that the politics then catch up to that conclusion in a way. So um, there's sort of, it's still very much, I, I think it's marked by a conservatism that it's not, it's an unwillingness to actually engage with, well, what, the the kinds of radical actions and confrontation with the state that will actually be necessary um, to deal with a ruling class and a system that is so steadfast and um, committed to maintaining um, climate carnage, basically. Um, So in the face of that, people who can't really confront that you would actually need to overthrow that system, um, it can be easier, I guess, to grasp towards a simplistic, rigid sort of answer um, that supposedly um, you know, fits with these these examples taken from history, taken from a zillion different contexts yeah. um, in which none of the other factors in all of those other episodes are examined. So why did the wall fall in 1989 and you know, everything like Liam started to talk about was not because we just had 3.5%. And in any case, we've already had the 3.5% out in response to climate change in many parts of the world and it hasn't resulted miraculously um in change. So I think that yeah, there's um there's that. But then there's also as well as the kind of well people actually still are stuck in some of the old um, you know, the, the politics of wanting to hope that there's a simplistic solution within the system in a way. Yeah. Whilst rhetorically saying that we need to change the system. Um, as well as that, it's a it's a formula and a a rigid kind of formula that's informed by panic. And I think people uh, you know there's a that's one of the main themes of the politics of the climate movement at the moment is just widespread sort of panic and concern about the climate catastrophe and what it will mean. But I think it's important as socialists to see that that doesn't necessarily lead to just left-wing conclusions, mm. um, just because people think that there's some existential threat facing us all, um, doesn't actually just um, radicalise people in a left-wing way necessarily.
0: Yeah, it's and, the and, and there are that. multiple interpretations of of all of that. You know, like one person's undermining or um, uh, disrupting the kind of pillars of the state, which mm. is somehow so, some people in exile talk about it in that way. You think, okay, yeah, that sounds a bit like what we say as revolutionary socialists, mm. you know, like dismantling the state or whatever. Is another person in exile's like... Winning over the people who run the state because we're all in this together. So if we yeah. can convince Scott Morrison, if we can yeah. convince people who are um, part of the police force, the army or whatever, then that will be the change that we need to avert yeah. this disaster, which is compl- yeah. fundamentally two different things.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think even with the science, there's there's political debate going on within that, within the kind of left, within the people who actually say, yes, it's a climate emergency. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of particularly, you mentioned the 11,000 scientists, you know, who signed this, this statement recently, uh, you know, which goes through all of the measures by which, uh, you know, the globe, the world has not, you know, has failed to kind of meet the the demands of, of urgent climate action. Including you know carbon emissions etc. Land clearing etc. One of the things they point out though is uh, this thing about population growth. Mm. You know this is that kind of Malthusian. It's yeah. actually a right wing, like it's an anti-human argument. Yeah. Uh, and you know that's coming out from people who are essentially the heroic kind of scientific wing of the climate change movement. You know, um, and so yeah, there's scope even within that for arguments that had to be that have to be had, because if those, if that sort of stuff takes root, then. You know then a solution an urgent action for climate change may well involve well we need to reduce the population you know which is mm. you don't like yeah. it's horrific kind of to think where that leads
0: mm. yeah so the third xr um demand about beyond politics is absolutely absurd like every single thing that happens in the climate movement is about politics whether you say it's not or not you know like mm. uh, you know and the other issue that's come up a lot, I think, and rightly so, is the stuff about the police and mm. and people getting arrested. And for me, I think one of the things that um, goes back to the thing about people's despair and despondency mm. is that actually if you set a target for the number of people that you think need to be arrested, then you can achieve something because it's definitely possible if you say to the police you can arrest 100 people to get 100 people arrested and then you can go home at the end of the day and say – well, we achieved our goal here as Extinction Rebellion because mm-hmm. 100 people... So you've got that immediate kind of feedback loop, if you will, of, like, gratification of, like, see what we've achieved when, again, sort of empty of politics around, well, what role do the police stay as, uh, play as part of the state? Like, mm-hmm. how do the, poli- you know, the racism of the police, the violence of the police, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff goes out of the window when you've got this kind of, like, target-setting kind of achievement... Mentality, which I mm. think is part of sort of like a middle class politics mm. as well, and that's been a big debate um in Australia, this question about arrestables um, so uh, yeah we've mm-hmm. saw, we saw that the spring rebellion, and I think a lot of people found it pretty confusing actually, who were new mm. to say, Well, what are these people doing sitting here? Why are the police carrying them off? Yeah, yeah. you know that yeah. was my experience of it,
1: yeah. Well yeah, I mean I uh I am someone who was an arrestable um during one of the Spring Rebellion oh no not Spring Rebellion, sorry, one of the previous um Extinction Rebellion protests. And I guess um I um well I I wanted to get arrested as part of the protest because it had become such a big feature of what they were arguing was um, you know, the point of each of their actions, I guess. And from a certain angle, it reflects a radicalism or it uh, it seems to connect with um, a section of people who want to do something a bit more than just march on the street, a bit more than just the, you know, the old tides um, sort of methods of protest and kind of um, really express that this is serious, like we're prepared to, um, you know, put our bodies on the line, um, that kind of thing. So in a sense, like... I think that's true. There's an appeal to the the um, tactic of mass arrest um, in that sense and we shouldn't, you know, disparage it totally, I think. I think that um, for a lot of people that's one of the things that makes them think, oh, yeah, XR is something um, that's a bit new and um, maybe a bit more disruptive. It's definitely and, a bit edgy if you edgy, go back to yeah. work the next
0: day and say to your colleagues, oh, I, I was arrested yeah, yesterday. Yeah, it's yeah. going to yeah. make them listen more yeah. than if you say, I just yeah. went to this demo. Yeah. Oh, yeah, whatever.
1: On the other hand, that's all kind of preamble because actually the more I think about it and I think the more that, um, you know, people on the left, socialists and others on the left who've been part of Extinction Rebellion have witnessed what this actually looks like in practice, you can see that um, it's anything but radical, um, quite the opposite. Actually, it's, it's really um, very much about like, I think showing kind of appreciation for the state, trying to uh, bring sections of the state, the police force, into our movement. Um, And so when I was um, approaching getting arrested at this um, Extinction Rebellion rally, it became increasingly obvious to me that um, this was something that isn't really challenging anything because... Um, I was trying to chant as other people got arrested around me, too many coppers, not enough justice, which is a very important chant actually. Um, yeah, Um, I'm pretty sure it actually comes from the protests, um, against the murder of TJ Hickey in Sydney. That's at least where I first heard it. And, um, it's a chant that's so evocative because it, it's literal, um, there is too many coppers. Um, denying us justice. Um, And whatever you're protesting for, if the coppers are preventing you from doing that by arresting you, by cordoning you off, um, by kettling you, by pushing you around, whatever, all of which they were doing at this particular rally that I was arrested, um, that's too many coppers and not enough justice. Um, So I, I think that you know, being basically, uh, told off for chanting that whilst a bunch of people were being arrested, including myself, was there a wake up to what's really going on here? Um, that while being arrested, while being manhandled by cops with guns in their belts, um, who, you know, are relishing in the fact that they can clean up, that they can attack the left, that they can, um, you know, uh, basically charge us all hundreds of dollars, um, (laughs) for the privilege of protesting, um, And actually, more seriously, criminalise our protests by arresting us, Um, it immediately gives them the licence to invent some charge for um, what was supposedly wrong with us being on a road at that time, which I think makes it harder to protest in the future. Um, All of that became clear, that the police are getting a lot out of this. Um, And the key kind of messaging from the sort of senior people in XR was, thank you, police. Thanks for doing this. This is all part of our movement. I think it's – so there's a few things with that. One, um, the the optics of that are pretty disgusting actually, Um, totally unempathetic to um, the plight of people who face daily brutality from the police, especially Aboriginal people but not just them. Um, Secondly, it's just politically wrong to think that we can cause any bureaucratic nightmare for the police by clogging
0: up the jails or anything like that. Um, Yeah, I spoke to somebody (laughs) who works in um – community legal centre and I said, you know, XR think that part of the strategy of arresting, Mm. getting people arrested is to like clog up the criminal justice system. And they were like, are they joking? Like, have you seen it? It's ridiculous. It's completely could not be more clogged up. Yeah. And – At any point, if somebody politically wants to expedite a a particular case or cases, they will just do that. Exactly. So they will put all the XR people Mm. into court together and they will charge them all and they will Mm. deal with it if they want to. And if they don't want to, they'll Mm. let you sit and stew, whatever. Like, it's just a crazy suggestion that that's part of what is going on with that.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: And the clogged up justice system or injustice system, uh, like Victoria is uh, notorious for it. There are, you know, there's... A lot of the recent so-called prison riots have actually would be better characterized as remand centre riots. Mm. These are people who have half the time not been even charged. Like, they're just fucking in remand. Yeah. Mm. And they're there month after month after month with mm. some screw who says, no, you can't go outside, you can't have a smoke. Mm. And that starts a riot. You know, like, the idea that, this, that the Victorian state is in any way worried about or hostile to having their prison system or their legal system clogged up. It's just a farce.
0: Yeah, and there's money to be made of putting people in prison anyway in yeah. the private sector in Victoria. So Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: And I think as well, like, so there's the kind of, yeah, the clogging up argument, which, um, yeah, I think is silly. Um, but it's also that there's an argument made that... Um, it fits with the thing we we're talking about before about we're all in this together. That we can actually convince the police because of the scale of this um, existential crisis facing all of us as fellow humans. We can convince the police to side with us, um, and that's part of uh, that's a way that XR says we're different from any every other social struggle that's come before. We're different from every other cause because, um, you know, and. I think deliberately trying to distance themselves from other social causes that actually we should be looking to and looking to the history of those struggles to learn from. They say we're different from that because the environment question is a question like no other. It's a question that affects every single human being. So it's not a left-right question. It's not a class question. It's a human planetary question. And we're all in this together and we're just at the frontier of that and need to gradually, you know, convince every human um that Which we share part this of the same fate.
0: No naming and shaming thing, right? Exactly.
1: Um yeah, and I think it's uh, you know, patently that's not what's going on. Um, the ruling class have known for quite some time that we're in a climate crisis, um and they are acting accordingly. They're not not acting. There's no inaction going on. There's plenty of action going on. there's authoritarianism. um there's now we're seeing um in the west, in in Australia, in Melbourne, um the clamping down on protests against um, climate change. But more seriously than that, there's been um, there's been projects for decades now. Um, to actually understand, like fortifying borders and um, strengthening immigration programs, I like, military spending, yeah, stopping yeah, all of that stuff, yeah, stopping people be- from being able to, um, um, uh, you know, uh, move places as refugees, but also increasing military spending has all been informed by um, science, global uh, yeah. climate science. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that thinking that we're all in this together is particularly wrong in this. Um, in this juncture and in response to the question of climate change, actually. Um, And it's important as socialists to say there's been plenty of questions that have been framed in this way, the question of nuclear, the question of fascism. Um, But under class society, under capitalism, that's never the case. There's a ruling class that have a very different set of interests um, and Aims coming out of a particular crisis. It's true we all face it, um, but we all respond to it differently. And they're looking to protect themselves, protect themselves from us protesting against them, protect themselves from all of the you know damage to their to their world, their profits, and so on. And all of that um, is aimed squarely against our
0: side. The way of the revolution, <laughs> So we had an opportunity a couple of weeks after the Spring Rebellion to actually go and name sh- name and shame some climate criminals. So um, that was at the International Mining and Resources Conference. That is an annual event in Melbourne here. And it's basically where all of these people involved in, in the mining industry and resource industry to come together internationally and um, talk about how they can continue to exploit and degrade and um, burn the planet. So we all die. So we went down there to blockade this conference, um, the blockade IMARC protests, and um, we certainly um, experienced the full brute force of the Victorian police mm. as we tried to do this. But let's talk a bit about why the conference was such a good target, I guess, for naming and shaming and why we took the action um, there.
1: Yeah, good one. Yeah, well, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think that the um, the conference was an important target because it's literally the people responsible for climate change. So, eighteen to twenty percent of global emissions were represented by the executives attending that conference, oh. um, and you know all the big name mining corporations, BHP, Rio Tinto. It was, I think, important, um, given that this conference was being hosted by um, the Labor left, supposedly, um, Premier Daniel Andrews in Melbourne, um, but it was a global conference, literally, of climate criminals. um, And it was being hosted at a moment coming off the back of all of these uh, climate protests in Melbourne, across Australia and across the world, um, that we actually organised a um contingent of our movement of the climate movement to go there and to call these people out for what they're doing um especially because you know governments and uh, all over australia now are talking about declaring a climate emergency and all sorts of other greenwashing rubbish like that um at the same time they're schmoozing they're whining and dining um with the global elite who are directly responsible for um not just emissions but all of the um extreme exploitation that goes on towards workers in coal mines and other mines across the globe, Um, all of the uh, land clearances and attacks on Indigenous people that are a result of that and so on. So yeah, I think it was the, you couldn't have thought of a better target really. Um, And I think it was, as we were talking about before, an important kind of response to the um, to the claim that we're all in this together because it, it showed that up for a lie, pretty pretty straightforwardly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and when we'd established kind of a blockade out the front and a bunch of different direct action things had been going on and and security were directing people back round to the front entrance where most of us were sort of chanting and all of that kind of stuff, trying to actually stop people going in because we were serious about disrupting this conference, mm. not just kind of making a show of it. It wasn't theatrical protest. it was genuinely trying to shut this Mm. thing down because why should they get to talk about a whole stream of the conference? One of the days I looked at the program was Africa, basically. (laughs) Like how can we exploit Mm. Africa more as mining companies? You know, like so why the fuck should they get to talk about that Mm. um, in Melbourne when we could try and stop them? So we did. Mm. And one of the notable things for me was a bunch of these people coming to the conference in their fucking suits and shiny shoes and whatnot, did not want to actually avoid the protest. They wanted to come up to us and Mm. say, Mm. no, we're talking about mining because mining is great Mm. and I'm going to push my way through here Mm. even if I know and especially because I've just seen it happen, the Mm. police are going to grab you and shove you to the ground and potentially pepper Mm. spray you on my behalf Mm. to let me into this conference and I enjoyed that. You know, there were women as well as men in the suits coming up and thinking – no, I won't go around the side of you or find some other yeah. way in. I yeah. am going to go right through you because I hate you climate protesters. You know, yeah, like exactly. it's pretty intense. And then yeah. all of the reporting afterwards about mm. the violence of the protesters, all this kind of crap and the way that the police wanted to frame it. Like, if you'd actually been there and seen some of these people, my God, Mm. we were restrained in the fact that we just shouted at them, Mm. I think, and all of the Bolt Report crap about spitting and pushing people, like, none of that happened. Mm. Mm. One old guy tripped over his own feet, like, and the rest of the time we were yelling at these people. Like, Mm. it was amazing that nobody got punched, honestly. Mm. Like, the idea of the violence of of the protest is ridiculous. And then we saw, you know, the police response. Um Which I think for some of the um, newer people down there was pretty shocking Mm. because, like I said, you know, we were trying to stop people, all of that. And the fact that they bring out the pepper spray, which I just wanted to say something about because we sort of say pepper spray and people think it's like some kind of like chopped up capsicum or something or whatever. And it's actually like... It's a chemical, non-lethal weapon. They have pepper spray because they want something they can use that won't kill you, but it will do as much damage as possible. Mm. And so the European Union um, just put out a report about the effects of pepper spray, because in some countries it's banned from any use. And it talks about um, temporary blindness, the burning sensation of the skin, like upper body spasms, sort of uncontrollable coughing. You can't Mm. breathe. You mostly can 't speak after you 've been pepper sprayed, and so on, so this is a horrendous kind of um weapon that the police use, and we mm. should talk about it as a weapon, I think mm. and they pepper sprayed people who are absolutely trapped, they yell, move, you can't move, and they pepper spray you in the face, so this is the level of kind of um brutality so mm. why like why do you think the police went so feral mm. down there
1: yeah, well, I think um to answer that goes back to the first part of what you were saying about what was actually going on at the iMark conference and the blockade of it, which was one of the most graphic displays of just like class on class, um, you know, different sides of the struggle, conflicts that I've ever seen. Um, and it was like, like, Roz how you were describing that. We were there defending the climate, arguing, fighting for justice, for um you know, all the victims of climate change, and uh, for some sense in the face of this catastrophe, it's some like let's stop this destructive mining. Let's stop the coal mining. Let's stop the crazy twenty percent of emissions that all of you fuckers are responsible for. Um, and then there was all of them, thousands of them actually, because you know class is quite big and they're hangers There's on. There's seven thousand people. Yeah. Like, That's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know they had they were yeah, so it was pretty clear who they were you know they were like suited up in the pearls and like you were saying snarling at us literally like they wanted to fight they wanted to show what side they're on they wanted to defend what they're doing and to slash through our um our lines so that they could get in you know that was part of them um you know entering their conference entering their like soiree with their people um with a bit of style actually was pushing through our lines um so I think in that context, looking at what the Victorian police did is important because um, it shows um, really what the role of the police is. Um, it's not to just keep order on the streets in some sort of neutral way. Um, it is absolutely and has always been since the creation of the police um, to defend the rule of the rich and powerful and literally to defend the rich and powerful um, when they feel at all threatened, even though, you know, they were hardly threatened by the fact that we were uh, peacefully protesting outside their event. Um, so, yeah, I think it was... That's why we saw such a escalation in their tactics. Just two weeks before the IMAC blockade, we'd had the Spring Rebellion, the Extinction Rebellion ex- um, organised ex- uh, Spring Rebellion, and the police brutality had was nothing like this. There were a lot of arrests. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, pretty uh, outrageous move-on orders, um, but there wasn't the level of just kind of like unleashed yep. feral brutality that like we like saw a sort coming. Sort of pent-up response, yeah, as well, particularly absolutely. because the
0: worst violence happened on kind of the last day. Exactly, yeah, yeah. They there were they no could... horses at Spring Rebellion. There was yeah. no pepper spray. Like yeah. they were just waiting and yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah, um, and it was it was pretty confronting to a lot of people who were there. But I think the most important thing in the aftermath is to look at, well, it wasn't just the police following the orders of the executives inside the IMARC conference, but actually directly following the orders of the the Labor government here in Victoria. Um, And that was really on display when Daniel Andrews came out after the second day of quite severe brutality to say um, that he was extremely proud of every last thing that happened at that blockade on behalf of the police. And he didn't have to say that. Like you could have easily come out and gave given a defence of the police that acknowledged some wrongdoing. You yeah. could have said, you know, there's a few bad eggs in every basket, whatever. Or just like, said, you know, it was a
0: difficult yeah, situation. Yeah, not every decision
1: not even, was made uh, with was every said, yeah. factor in mind. Like some, you know, th- yeah. these people are adept at that kind of like yeah. getting around a, a prickly situation um, or whatever by not really saying anything. But he came out to forthrightly yeah. defend everything they did, and to call our protest appalling. Um, so I think that that's really important, that it's a real um, declaration um, by the state government here, which you've seen For the federal government has done the same, um, as has the Queensland state government, that we are going to clamp down on climate protests. We do not tolerate this kind of protest. We don't tolerate actually people exercising their right to protest um, around the question of the climate. Yeah.
2: The, uh, the other thing that's happened in the days after I, Marcus, has been uh, um, the Victorian government has announced, uh, you know, they're training a whole batch of new riot cops mm. and arming them yeah. with even more, you know, deadly weapons. And giving uh, them a pay rise. And giving them a pay rise, <laughs> yeah, specifically to deal with the quote-unquote uncertain times yeah. that climate change brings. Mm. And they don't mean the uncertain times in terms of, you know, mm. how are people going to eat, how are people going to live. They mean uncertain times in, in the sense of, uh, all of this climate change stuff is prompting people to rebel. Mm. That's the uncertainty. Yeah. So we need stronger cops with better weapons and, you know, et cetera. Uh, and they've been bragging about it. And that's the pattern I think we're seeing around the world, that the cl- the climate emergency, I mean, all these governments who, not, not all of them, but some of these governments who actually said, yes, there is a climate emergency are also hypocrites because they're all increasing the repressive yeah. kind of militarization yeah. of their police force with the express intent of smashing climate change protesters. This is what capitalism looks like when it's confronted with the existential crisis of climate change. It's like, mm. arm the cops, smash heads. Yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly. And if Theresa May, the leader of the Tory party in Britain at the time, could declare a climate emergency, mm. sort of tells you how much that's worth. Really, yeah. Sucks, honestly. Yeah. So, I mean, Sarah, you've written about this in, in a piece in Red Flag about mm. the kind of connections between climate justice and fighting for civil mm. liberties. I mean, that seems to be fairly clear. Clear in what we're talking about, but there's it's not clear to everyone, right? That these two things are absolutely connected.
1: Yeah, no, I think that they are intimately connected and will only become more so, basically. Um, and I think that because we were talking before about the folly of XR in terms of their focus on arrests. Um, in terms of like, they think that will actually cripple the state somehow or convert the police officers. Something like IMARC really um, serves a blow to that sort of philosophy and um, strategy. So I'm hoping that out of this, um, you know, people within the XR movement who are positively like have thrown themselves into something that um, they see as offering a, a way forward that is about you know radical disruptive activity to actually get through to um, you know to those in power. I'm hoping some of the people will move beyond that to well actually those in power know full well what they're doing and they want to crush our movement um, and we'll hold on to what got them involved in XR in the first place which was we want to disrupt we want to fight for climate justice. Um, but move beyond, you know, looking to those in power to deliver that and um, start to build, be part of building um, a bigger and bigger left that can actually understand who the enemies in our fight for climate justice are. Um, and I think part of uh, what that means as well is understanding that all political um, questions will be coloured by the question of climate change in the coming period. Like not every struggle that we have, not every protest we call is just going to be about climate change specifically or, you know, calling for zero emissions or even uh, challenging climate criminals directly. Um, But protesting for our civil liberties um, is part of the broader climate movement. You know, protesting for workers' rights is part of the broader climate movement. Like every question. Refugees, um, yeah. Yeah, refugees is an obvious one. Um, You know, so every question is affected. Um, Every uh, social injustice is going to be compounded by the climate crisis Um, and our climate movement, our movement for climate justice is going to be um, made better for understanding that and defending every single, you know, right that is hard won, that has been fought for by unionists, by activists, by socialists for decades and decades. Like we can't let any of our rights to protest just be trampled over. So we need to come out to defend them. Um, but we also need to, um, I think, see that you know, building alliances, building links of solidarity with some of the most, um, uh, you know, the the people who've been most victimized by the state and by the um, by the people who are simultaneously the the most responsible for Treasury climate change. Climate, yep. um, they're on our side. They're yep. they're on the side of wanting to fight for um, a livable planet and all of that. So. I think, yeah, it's been a long-term thing that people on the socialist left have remarked on that the kind of historic separation of environmental politics from the politics of the left and every other struggle and there's a whole bunch of different political reasons for that. But um, there's a pretty organic fusing going on now. As the climate question becomes the most dominant political question that's radicalising young people, that... Every political force in society, whether right or left, has to respond to and think of their um, politics in, you know, in um, in response to. Um, and also as, as the climate movement grows, yeah, we're coming into, it's coming into more contact with all of the same political problems and issues that every other social struggle has yeah. been confronted with. The police, the courts, the, you know, the role of supposedly left-wing governments, all of that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah the limitations of reformism etc., yeah. etc., et, cetera, et cetera. And, and i think i guess i mean if you're someone who's listening and you're thinking about the the existential threat to <laughs> life on earth and the planet and you know extinction and all of those kind of things like for me it's part of um being aware of that is to then think about well what is the most effective thing we can do right now and to really investigate like is is it Extinction Rebellion or is it you know something else or is it socialist politics, which obviously we're all saying it is and people yeah. should be involved in. But like if you want to do something to try to save the planet, then it's you want to be spending your energy in a way that you yeah. think is going to be the most effective. So I am going to wrap things up here and give a plug for um, a conference that we're having here in Melbourne on the 16th of November the system change not climate change conference so everyone should definitely come along to that and check out on the red flag website where you can get your tickets and you can look at the whole program um and we'll all be there so you can come and say hi um and thank you sarah for being here with us today thank you liam again for um coming along for the ride and contributing obviously and um yeah solidarity to everyone out there and uh, there's a world to win you're listening to red flag radio